presented by Millie Package. We now welcome on Matt Carolee, who is the host of Talking Birdie, powered by Sports Atlanta. Matt, welcome on to Division Two Sports. It's great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get right into it. So last week, uh, Julio Jones was called by Shannon Sharp on Undisputed, live on air. Julio stated, I'm out of there when asked if he was staying in Atlanta. Is this, rela- is this relationship between Jones and the Falcons sal- salvageable? It, it, it's tough to see a path where they can salvage it. It certainly seems like, um, you know, there's some, you know, bad blood that's kind of festered. And it sounds like it's dated back to when Julio first, you know, requested an update to his contract back in 2018. And, you know, the Falcons decided back then that, you know, they were going to wait a year. They would, they would give him some, some money up front to appease him in the short term, but then they were going to wait till 2019 to give him a brand new contract. And, you know, that's what they ended up doing. They gave him a, you know, a, a market setting and unprecedented for a wide receiver, fully guaranteed three years, $66 million, which put him at the top for his position. And, you know, on the surface, it looked like he got everything he wanted. It looked like the Falcons were happy because again, they kept their explosive playmaker in the fold, but it sounds like based on the athletic reporting uh, over the last week, week and a half that, you know, how they got to that point, I guess was Rocky. And maybe there was some things said and, uh, or, you know, some things done and, and, and how they got to the new contract that, uh, didn't sit well with both parties and uh, is potentially, you know, where we are at right now in the current, uh, you know, timeline. Well, Matt, as you know, uh, Julio missed more games last season than he ever missed in one season in his previous season since he came into the league back in 2011. Julio is arguably one of the best three players we've ever had here in Atlanta. Um, the team was fielding calls on quarterback Matt Ryan prior to the NFL draft in April What's the reason you feel like Julio doesn't see Atlanta being able to win? And why was Matt Ryan able to conduct himself a little bit differently than Julio regarding the situation? You know, I can't really answer the first question as far as why Julio doesn't see a path to winning. Cause you know, honestly, I've been pretty bullish uh, on the Falcons, you know, this off season and heading into the 2021 season. I think largely a lot of their issues were attributed to coaching, you know, poor time management, you know, poor in-game decision management, uh, and with, you know, Arthur Smith and the staff that he's assembled, coupled with the talent that they've already had, you know, I, I can see a path where this team is back in the playoffs at the very least, you know, a wild card berth. Uh, so for that, I, I don't understand, uh, you know, Julio, I, I guess he just doesn't see the vision that I see and, and potentially Arthur Smith and, and Terry Fondo see. Regarding the second question, it helps for Matt Ryan uh, that, you know, they meet, they max restructured his deal back on March 16th. You know, that gives him a, a little bit of security uh, and, you know, uh, peace of mind that the Falcons, you know, uh, have confidence in him and faith in him moving forward. The same can't be said for Julio. And I think that can potentially be the reason he's, you know, grown disgruntled. You know, it's not only the contract uh, stuff that I alluded to earlier, but, the, the fact that, you know, the Falcons committed to Matt Ryan, but wouldn't do the same to Julio, I can kind of see how that might rub him the wrong way. And, you know, I don't know how significant the talks were in shopping Matt, but clearly uh, they've been pretty significant with Julio. Terry Fontenot has not denied that at all this offseason. So, again, 
if you're looking at the timeline of events from Julio's vantage point, given, you know, the commitment that they've shown Matt Ryan and not to Julio, you know, again, I could see how we got to the point that we're at right now with him and, and his standing on the roster. Right. And Thomas Dimitrov did as well as a job as he could. Uh, you mentioned earlier with uh, how they waited a season to give him his contract, but they're paying that man uh, more guaranteed money just about than every receiver in the game still. So it makes sense why they're looking to move him. Uh, you look around the league at some of the quarterbacks that are getting paid uh, in the top 10. They include uh, Jared Goff, Kirk Cousins, Carson Wentz, uh, even Ryan Tannehill. So you look at those guys, it kind of makes sense for Matt Ryan to make what he's making. Now, Julio Jones is 32 years old, and uh, our other co-host, Chris, is very, very adamant regarding wide receivers being over the age of 30, getting paid a ridiculous amount of money. So the contract itself with Julio seemed like Thomas Dimitrov was trying to patch up some wounds uh, a little bit, regardless of Julio's play on the field. Like I said, he is a top three Falcon of all time, but doesn't make a ton of sense when you look at his contract at this point in time. And then last year, you saw him miss more games, like I said, than he's ever missed in his career. So lots to look at there. But Russell Wilson had recently reached out to Julio, as you know. Diana Rossini has been reporting all over the matter. But Titans wide receiver A.J. Brown's been on social media campaigning for Jones to join the Titans as well. Currently, Vegas has the Patriots as the favorite to land Jones next year, according to the majority of sports books. I've also seen some that have Seattle. It seems like a lot of these books don't really know what's going on with Julio uh, in terms of the odds. But if Julio is, in fact, not back in Atlanta next season, where do you expect him to be playing? Yeah, I think you kind of covered it there as far as, I, you know, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. The sports books obviously don't know. They've had a different favorite, it seems like, every day of the week. Again, there, it's it's very uncertain. Um you know, my expectation is something would be done um, by the end of the week. You know, we're recording this on June 2nd. Uh, I say that because, you know, mandatory minicamp starts uh, next week, June 8th. And I'd like to think, you know, they don't want any more distractions. If they are going to put this behind them, they want to do it before that. I, it already seems like Arthur Smith's getting tired of answering this question. So, you know, that's my expectation as far as, you know, when, as far as who and where, Again, I don't know. Um, you know, you mentioned the Titans. For me, the Titans don't make sense. And the, the big reason I say that is because I think the Titans were most successful the last two years because of who's now calling the shots in Atlanta being Arthur Smith. Arthur Smith had a lot to do with their success. He took Derrick Henry's game up a notch. He certainly uh, made Ryan Tannehill, you know, he's had a, a renaissance uh, in Tennessee thanks to Smith. Uh, so if, if it came down to either of those, you know, Falcons or Tennessee, if I'm Julio, I'm, I'm trying to work this out and salvage this in Atlanta because, uh, again, I think the Falcons have a better shot than the Titans um, to be a playoff team. And that might be a hot take. Uh, but, again, I think Smith was, a, you know, deserves a lot of credit for the job he did in Tennessee. Um, Seattle, to me, I think they're a, a long shot. I, I know it makes sense. Uh, Russell Wilson's – you know, he's become disgruntled a little bit with the situation and how the Seahawks have kind of been in purgatory the last couple of years, you know, kind of plateauing. Uh, but I just don't see how they, how they make it work, what kind of trade package. They already kind of, uh, you know, mortgage the farm 
last off season for Jamal Adams. I, I don't see them doing that again for a 32 year old receiver, despite, you know, when healthy, uh, I think is still a top three receiver in the game. So for me, you know, I, I look at teams like the Patriots, uh, you know, they've been connected to Julio from the outset, but you go back to what I said about Tennessee. I don't think the Patriots are any better off uh, than the Falcons uh, of, of returning to the postseason. Uh, you know, and, and if, if the reports about Julio saying that Matt Ryan has lost some zing on his deep ball are true, then I, I can only imagine the frustration that's going to set in with Cam's inaccuracies at times and his inconsistencies. I mean, sure, he can rip it, uh, and he's still probably got a stronger arm than Matt Ryan, but uh, as far as accurate goes, uh, you know, give me Matt Ryan, you know, every day of the week there. So, again, I, I talked about it uh, on, on yesterday's recording of Talking Birdie. We, we kind of mentioned that I think if there is a team, it's going to be a team that we're not really expecting right now. You know, maybe like the Raiders or who knows, maybe the Chargers. I know they've been mentioned in talks, but I think they're more, you know, under the radar as far as Julio suitors are concerned. And I think they do make a lot of sense uh, in that, you know, the LA market is is probably very appealing to Julio. You know, they got a young quarterback on the rise and Justin Herbert, new head coach that I think is going to do some great things and Brandon Staley. So, you know, maybe a team like the Chargers, uh, get into the fold at, at the end there. Um, but, you know, again, hopefully if it does happen, you know, Terry kind of stands his ground and, and doesn't kind of, you know, make any concessions. Cause the worst thing I I'd hate from this uh, is, is then have to cover any of the remainder uh, remaining salary. That's, that's going to transfer to, to the next team. Cause they're already, you know, they're, they're already going to have a $7 million dead cap hit in 2021. And then next year, it gets even worse. They're going to have a $15 million uh, dead cap hit when Julio's cap hit uh, originally was supposed to be 19. So they're only saving about three or 4 million, which again, to, to have him be somewhere else and to still cover that bill, that that's going to be a, a tough pill to swallow uh, next season as they kind of continue to progress and hopefully, um, you know, get closer to a Lombardi as opposed to kind of, again, um, sinking back into, you know, mediocrity. So again, that's, that's the one thing I want to see is that you know, Terry doesn't give in to any uh, of the other team's demands and doesn't cover any more of the bill than they're already covering. So Matt, let's talk about our quarterback. Um, there have been some fans out there more so in the media, but they've been vocal with their displeasure in the play of Matt Ryan. What do you have to say to the doubters that put the blame of the Falcons struggles on number two? Just, just stay tuned to this season is really all I want to say. Because, again, I, I think this is a perfect marriage between Arthur Smith and Matt Ryan. The, the only thing that, uh, you know, the only regret is really that this couldn't have happened sooner in Matt Ryan's career. Uh, because, again, I think you're, you're getting a, a Kyle Shanahan-esque play caller in Arthur Smith, and now he's going to be the head coach. So now there's stability. You don't have to worry about him being, you know, pried away. Uh, hired, you know, to, to a head coaching job. He is now the head coach. He is the play caller. Uh, again, play action heavy, which Matt Ryan has always thrived in. Uh, so all I really got to say is just, just watch this season. Julio Jones or not, there's enough weapons. Calvin Ridley is going to continue to take that step. Kyle Pitts is going to be an absolute mismatch. Uh, nightmare for opposing defenses. And they got some, you know, uh, supplementary guys in Russell Gage, Hayden Hurst, so, you know, the cupboard's not bare for Matt Ryan. He can still have 
you know, the type of season that he had in 2016 or the type of season he had in 2018. That, that's the expectation that I have for him. And, I, and all I got to say is just, just stay tuned because, uh, you know, the doubters, um, they'll be very quiet, I believe, in 2021. I like it. Um, well, let's go back to the talking about the salary cap. So the Falcons are going to need to get creative to be able to sign their rookies. And many players we might not expect could be released in the upcoming weeks. Who are some of those players who could be on their way out of town? Yeah, so it's been pretty well documented. There's not too many big contract names that they can do anything with. That's why, you know, the Julio Jones thing has always been, you know, at the forefront is because, you know, trading him does net them $15 million. That that would be plenty to cover the, uh, the rookie class. And then, you know, have a little bit left over to maybe, you know, dip your hand back into, you know, the – you know, final phase, maybe a free agency. Uh, Grady Jarrett's obviously one, again, where they can, you know, do some restructuring if need be. Say the Julio Jones thing fell through, you know, that, that's an easy uh, candidate for restructure to create the, the uh, salary cap space to sign the class. Now, as far as, you know, to answer the question, who are some of the underrated guys? Isaiah Oliver might be the next guy that you look at just because, again, again if you're trying to save some money, there's not too many other options. He would save you $2 million. But again, and he's been, you know, a lot of people have, have thrown shade his way, and, and rightfully so. He didn't really, uh, you know, cut it as an outside corner, former second-round pick. But he found a home at, at nickel corner uh, towards the end of last season. And so far, according to the OTA reports, that's where he's he's been at. So I expect him to stick. But again, you know, if push comes to shove, they needed a name. Uh, you know, they drafted two corners in the draft. So maybe Isaiah Oliver could potentially um, be the odd man out. Uh, you know, Deidre and Sanat, again, I don't know if that's, you know, you're not going to get much savings, a little less than a million. But he's a guy from pretty much year two, unfortunately. He's been in the doghouse. Despite, you know, when he does see the field, he can make an impact. Uh, I hope under Dean Pease he gets – uh, you know, a little bit more of a look to show what he can do before they totally write him off. But he's the guy to watch that's, you know, on the roster bubble. Uh, but other than that, there's, there's not too many other names. Again, they, the, the big contracts are locked in. And a lot of the other contracts are, you know, close to vet men. That was the big thing that, uh, you know, came about from this pandemic and came about from this reduced salary cap is it eliminated the middle class in the NFL. Uh, and you just look at the the Falcons' salary cap sheet, and they're the classic example of it. They got big contracts up at the top, and they got little contracts, you know, filling the rest of the roster out, and, and nothing much in between. Uh, you know, Ricardo Allen's contract's gone. He was probably the closest thing to a middle-class contract that they had remaining, uh, and he's gone. So uh, there's, there's not many names that I'd really watch that would surprise me as far as being cut. And honestly, you know, no one will surprise you, surprise me, you know, just because it is a new regime. And, you know, everything's, you know, on the table. But, uh, I, you know, again, if forced to at, answer the question, I, I would say Isaiah Oliver and Deidre Sonata are maybe two names that come to mind there. Sonat still hasn't lived up to those expectations back when he was drafted. We see him play very rarely. And uh, another guy that I can kind of think of off the top of my head that might be, you know, a potential hot seat guy. I don't know exactly what the cap hit would be, but maybe a Tyler Davidson expecting Marlon Davidson to come step up in his place after a disappointing rookie year, maybe. Um, but Matt, I want to talk a little bit about 
the offensive line, protecting Matt Ryan is completely the most important thing if losing Julio Jones. The team drafted Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan. Talk to me about what jumps off the page to you regarding Jalen Mayfield. Yeah, with Mayfield, you know, I, I didn't like this pick. Um, I, I'm going to trust, again, until they uh, give us a reason not to, I'm going to trust in, you know, Arthur Smith and Dwayne Ledford because right when they drafted him, they said they got a clear plan for him. That plan looks like a transition to guard, which is a position Mayfield hasn't played, I believe, in his entire football career. So, again, I, I would preach to, to the listeners, you know, have some patience with him. I, I'd be shocked, and I know others don't feel this way, but I'd be shocked if he's the week one starter at left guard. Uh, I hope, you know, again, this could be where uh, they use some of those free agent bucks that they might get from a Julio Jones trade. Hopefully they maybe look. Uh, there's Trey Turner's out there. He, he's been a right guard his career, but I think I'd rather probably have Trey Turner playing left guard than Josh Andrews, who right now is getting the first team reps in the early going. Uh, you know, with Mayfield, uh, obviously the things you like and you saw on tape from him as a right tackle at Michigan is, you know, the strength, the power. When he gets his hands on you in the run game, you know, defenders are going on a ride. Uh, so, again, you can see that translate uh, to left guard. You know, the things I probably don't like are, are some of the hand placement and the hand technique. I think he needs to clear that up. Uh, that might not be as much of an issue, uh, you know, it, on the interior as it is, you know, as a tackle. But uh, I, again, I, I think he's a project right now. And uh, I, I can't stress this enough, but I, I think we all need to have patience with him. Uh, and again, if they do play him early on, I think there's, there, it's going to be a bumpy ride at times. And, you know, hopefully, you know, it doesn't get Matt Ryan killed, but for me, yeah, this wasn't a pick I liked. I, I love the first two. I, I thought they killed it with Pitts, and I thought they killed it with Richie Grant, especially moving back. But it sort of killed my buzz a little bit seeing that Jalen Mayfield selection because if it was me calling the shots, I would have rather them take, um, you know, the the D2 or D3 sensation. I forget what Wisconsin Whitewater's from, but uh, Quinn Miners, the senior bowl guy, um, I would have liked. To, you know, he, I think he's a plug-and-play interior guy, whereas Mayfield's a bit of a project. But we'll see what happens. Hopefully I'm wrong because, uh, you know, if I am wrong, uh, this, this offensive line could be something special, you know, as far as how many resources they've invested in lately. With Mayfield being a third-rounder, last year they invested in Hennessy, who has a good chance to be the starting center as a third-rounder. And then, obviously, everyone knows the 2019 first-round picks, Lindstrom and McGarry on the right side. So if Mayfield does work out and – you know, is, is a competent player sooner rather than later. Uh, I think it's only going to pay dividends um, moving forward. And you mentioned Kyle Pitts, who I got to talk about because even our quarterback, Matt Ryan, is ecstatic to get Kyle Pitts into this Falcons offense. Uh, watching the draft, I'm sure Ryan and his wife, Sarah, were very, very closely paying attention to who the Falcons were taking at number four, wondering if uh, Matt would still be the head quarterback here in Atlanta. Um, in an interview with Albert Breer, Ryan said that he watched Kyle Pitts very closely during his time in college at Florida. Kyle Pitts scored 28% uh, of his 28% uh, of his receptions were touchdowns at Florida his, his last season. So the guy is a monster. The stats speak for themselves. But 
with possibly one less weapon on this offense if Julio is gone, is Kyle Pitts truly going to be a unicorn in this offense? Yeah, I absolutely think so. And again, you know, Kyle's as clean of a prospect as we've seen in a while. And, you know, there's always that chance um, that a heralded prospect such as himself can, can bust. But, uh, you know, situation is very important in the NFL. And going where he went, I think, eliminates any sort of bust potential. Going to a coordinator like Arthur Smith, who said he's, he's very tight end biased, you know, former tight end coach in Tennessee before he worked his way up. He loved using multiple tight end sets. Arthur Smith uh, led the league last year in 12 personnel, two tight end sets. Uh, he's going to use them all over the place. And I think, again, the likelihood of not having Julio Jones is only going to uh, accentuate, you know, pit sooner rather than later. You know, obviously there's a lot of vacated targets now in the Falcons offense. Um, and with Julio off the field, again, there's more space. You know, there's, you know, there's more places um, to position pits on the field. You know, what, what I'm hoping to see now is we see more, you know, of that f- him being flexed out as a big receiver that you did see at times at Florida. Uh, again, if Julio was in the fold, maybe you don't see that as much. Maybe Pitts is more in the slot or as an H-back or, you know, off the line of scrimmage. But now, I mean, again, you have another opportunity here to use him like a mismatched nightmare. Uh, we were talking again on the, on the Talking Birdie podcast and, you know, say you get a matchup, they're not playing the Rams this season, but say you get a matchup where you can flex Kyle Pitts out wide and Jalen Ramsey's on that side of the field and Jalen Ramsey then is forced to match up with Kyle Pitts. Well, that then means on the opposite side of the field, Calvin Ridley's either got their second or third cornerback, depending again, who's on the field for the Rams. Those are the types of things that I think Kyle Pitts is going to create for the Falcons offense. And again, uh, Arthur Smith made this point uh, in, in um, Jeff Schultz film room article earlier in the off season, as far as he loves creating conflict, conflict and mismatches and doing something like that, where you would be able to flex out a unicorn like Kyle Pitts, create that matchup so that again, th- their best cornerback is now not on your best receiver. Cause again, Calvin Ridley is still going to be their best receiver despite Pitts's presence. That those are the types of things that I expect Uh, Arthur Smith to do and now with again Julio Jones likely out of the fold you know there's other spots on the field now that they can incorporate pits that they might not have been able to uh, if Julio was on the field. So Matt with Julio likely out of uh, the fold Atlanta would then be throwing a pits and Ridley but they would specifically need young guys to take a step to replace his production so out of the current players on the roster um, aside from Ridley and also Gage, who do you see being a key contributor in terms of pass catchers? Yeah, so if I was ranking uh, the pass catchers in a post-Julio Jones world, you know, I'd put Calvin Ridley at number one. I think Kyle Pitts will be the number two, and Russell Gage is the number three. You mentioned those. The fourth uh, is probably going to be Hayden Hurst. Again, Arthur Smith's love of tight ends, uh, you know, getting defenses in base personnel uh, so that, you know, you have three linebackers on the field and one of them has to cover a guy with the speed of Hurst or the speed of Pitts. I think Hurst is probably the fourth guy, probably has a similar season to what he had this past year as far as production goes. And then, you know, kind of the fifth guy, and again, this, this is up for interpretation, and it's, I think, going to be one of the things uh, that's most intriguing to watch, you know, out of camp and in preseason, is who's that fifth guy, 
Right now, I'd say Alamani Zacchaeus. I think he showed some things prior to getting injured last season. You know, the deep ball was very memorable against that, you know, against the Broncos, uh, where Matt had a perfect dime to him in the end zone. You know, I think, you know, he can be, he can play every receiver spot, in my opinion. Uh, You know, you look back, I was a fan of him coming out of Virginia. You know, his route running ability is very polished for an undrafted guy. So he would be the guy that I think emerges probably and, and benefits the most uh, from a Julio Jones absence. Beyond that, obviously, uh, you know, to talk about some of these other guys, you know, I think Tajay Sharp was brought in because he profiled as an X receiver, you know, which is that one split out wide on the line of scrimmage that Julio Jones has, has played for the last decade. They brought him in, I think, you know, to, to add a body there. Um, and then Frank Darby, you know, the electric personality that Frank Darby is, who he's going to be fun to watch on the sidelines, if nothing else, just to see him getting his, his guys juiced up. But, you know, I think he's got big play potential, and he could potentially now see uh, a bigger role earlier than probably expected um, due to the – well, due to the eventual probably, uh, you know, trading of, of Julio Jones. So let's move over to the other side of the ball. So as you previously mentioned, we got a new new defensive play caller, Mr. Dean Pease. Um, and we love what he brings to the table in terms of unique blitz packages and his ability to line guys up all over the field. But to you specifically, what new elements uh, do you like that Pease will ultimately bring to upgrade our defense? Yeah, I think you touched on it. I mean, it's, it's the creative blitz packaging. And I know fans want to make a big deal about the lack of talent along the edges with Dante Fowler, you know, being uh, the best piece that they have there. And then, you know, a bunch of kind of cast-offs in, you know, Kiki Mingo, Stephen Means coming back, you know, Jacob Tueda Mariner, you know, not guys that probably should be fringe roster guys on a lot of teams. But again, what Pease does well is he does more with less. And, you know, he, he's made a career out of scheming, uh, pressure packages. So you don't need that individual talent. Obviously it'd be nice and he wouldn't turn it away if given the opportunity, but you know, the fact of the matter is it's just not presented to the Falcons due to their cap situation. So for me, uh, you know, I'm very excited uh, to, to watch him scheme a pressure game up. Now the concerning part about it is in order to do so, you, you got to be able to trust your guys on the back end. And if there's one worry spot, I don't think it's the edge rushing. I think it's, Again, can the guys in the back end, the cornerbacks and safeties hold up? Because honestly, even even looking at the Dan Quinn Falcons the last couple of years, yes, sacks are what a lot of fans look to. Uh, but again, it's sacks aren't the end all be all, and and pressure and pass rush wins, which is a new metric that ESPN has been tracking. You know that shows you are the guys up front beating their man, and and oftentimes the Falcons front were doing that, but the problem was the cornerbacks and the safeties, you know, were allowing uh, easy completions within 2.5 seconds, which is, you know, the expectation of, you know, the limits of how long you expect the quarterback to hold on the ball for. So for me, I think part of that was scheme driven, just simply the coverage calls were allowing the easy completions. I don't think that'll be the case under P's, but regardless of that, uh, even with better coverage calls, you know, the guy's got to execute on the field and we, we got a lot of young cornerbacks your top cornerbacks, a second year guy who, although had a very good rookie season, arguably the, the best rookie cornerback season in the NFL last year, despite not being the first cornerback taken. But if there's any concern for me, it's the cornerbacks, because again, I think Dean's going to 
craft up the pressures to get to the quarterbacks. It's just a matter of the guys in the back end holding long enough uh, for it to materialize. But for me, yeah, I, I think I'm with you guys as far as uh, being excited to see what uh, Dean schemes up from a pressure standpoint. You mentioned earlier that you absolutely loved our first two draft picks with Kyle Pitts and then the second pick, Richie Grant, who might be my favorite pick that we made the entire draft. The UCF product is beyond interesting. Seems like an absolute leader on the defensive side of the ball. How do you kind of see Dean Pease using Richie Grant in this defense? And then also, what jumps off the page to you regarding the safety? Yeah, I think I can answer both questions uh with one, uh, with one answer, uh, it's the versatility. And I think, you know, he's going to use him as a chess piece because Richie can play both the single high role showing off his range in coverage. And, you know, he also has a knack for playing close to the line of scrimmage, blitzing off the edge, um, you know, guarding, uh, receivers in the slot, um, you know, fit in the run in run support. I think tackling might be the only thing that I'd like to see him clean up. Uh, but hopefully that comes with more coaching and more reps. Uh, but for me, yeah, it's the versatility to play both safety roles. And I think that's going to be important moving forward and how they continue to shape the safety room is it's no longer, you know, we have to kind of lose uh, that thought process that we had from Dan Quinn's Falcons, where you have a, a true single high, you know, center field safety, and then a true box safety, like a Keanu Neal. That's no longer going to be the case with Dean Pease. You kind of need to be able to do both in order to flourish in his scheme because he does run a lot of too high stuff. Uh, but he'll mix and match. And, and again, I think, you know, for that standpoint, that's why I think Richie Grant, out of any of the safeties in the class, was uh, the best fit. And, you know, to be able to move back and, and get your guy and get a fourth-round pick who they parlayed into, uh, you know, a potential uh, competition at center in Jude Allman, I think was, you know, honestly, uh, Terry Fano's best work. Because, again, you got a player that you probably would have taken at 35, uh, but you didn't have to. You moved back. You took him. You got a fourth-round pick. Um, so kudos to him there. And, again, I think he's a great player. I agree with you. I think uh, he's going to be one of these leaders, uh, one of these foundational uh, pieces and, and building blocks to come. But, yeah, I'm excited to see him uh, be used all over the field as a blitzer, um, as, a, as a ball hawk and safety all over. Uh, there's nothing Richie can't do from the safety position. Very excited to see how Dean Pease utilizes Richie in that defense. I think it's going to be very exciting. But you touched on him here just a little bit, Matt, and this is our final question for you today. So Keanu Neal, he's rejoining Dan Quinn in Dallas. For years, I've said that Keanu is a linebacker playing safety. Uh, his coverage skills are not the best. And to say the least, I think that it's, it's best case scenario that he's moving over to that position. But do you see this transition working out for the former Falcon? And do you think Dan Quinn is going to learn from his mistakes in Atlanta and then eventually become the defensive coordinator that he once was when he was with the Legion of Boom in Seattle? I don't. I'll be shocked. I'll, I think we'll all have a lot of questions if he does revert to that form. I, you know, I think what made him so successful in Seattle was the players. I mean, he had, you know, five probably Hall of Famers or, you know, caliber Hall of Famers on that team. And, you know, they ran a simplified scheme, which Pete Carroll, he learned from Pete Carroll. And I think, you know, those guys were just better than their competition. So if he goes to Dallas, which they don't have the, the talent, 
that he had in Seattle or, you know, I think it's probably a lateral move as far as the talent, maybe in Dallas, maybe it's a little bit better in Dallas because you got Demarcus Lawrence and, and some other pieces, but I'd be shocked if, you know, he becomes that defense coordinator we saw in Seattle and, and Dallas has a top ranked unit. Uh, as far as Keanu's fit, uh, you know, linebacker makes sense. I mean, he played some linebacker then towards the tail end of the Falcons career. And I certainly think the coverage elements to his game probably did take a hit after those back-to-back, you know, devastating injuries, the knee injury, and then the Achilles. Uh, because, you know, prior to that, his first and second year, you know, he was a chess piece, kind of like Richie Grant. I mean, you could use him all over the field. He matched up in the slot. He matched up out wide against tight ends and, and running backs and whatnot. So it, it's unfortunate what injuries have kind of done to him because he was a special player those first two years. And that's why you saw him make the Pro Bowl in 2017. But uh, as far as it's, – it's certainly becoming a crowded room too in, in the linebacker room in Dallas because, you know, they still have – Leighton Vander Esch, they still have Jalen Smith. And then adding to that, you know, you're putting Keanu Neal at linebacker. They drafted Micah Parsons early, which I hated that fit for Micah Parsons in Dallas. I, I don't, again, I don't think Dan Quinn's the right coordinator for Micah Parsons. Dean Pease might have, uh, although I, yeah, I went on record in saying I wouldn't have touched Micah Parsons in the first round. There's too many issues for me, both on the field, off the field, uh, to what, you know, to feel comfortable taking him in the first round. And then they also added, uh, I forget the name, drawing a blank, but kid from LSU, uh, Jabril, Jabril Cox, I think, uh, coverage linebacker. So very crowded room. I'm not sure what the plan is there. Again, I wouldn't feel confident if I was a Cowboys fan that Dan Quinn's going to be able to, to sort that out. But again, I, I love Dan Quinn. I, I thought, you know, what he did bringing a culture was important. Obviously got them to the Super Bowl. It's very unfortunate how it ended. Um, but I think again, from an X's and O's standpoint, he, he was a bit lacking and, and we kind of saw that towards the tail end. And again, I'm not very confident, uh, that he can turn things around in Dallas, but if he does again, going to have a lot of questions on why he couldn't do that in Atlanta, because, you know, there's some similar personnel, uh, in Atlanta to what, to what Dallas has. And so we'll see, I think we're all circling that count that game, uh, later in 2021 between, you know, Dallas and, and Atlanta, and, and hopefully we come out on the, uh, the winning side. Well, Matt, this has been a pleasure. Uh, we'd like to invite all of our listeners to go ahead and follow Matt on Twitter for some of the best Falcons insight out there, uh, at Matt Caroli, and check out his new podcast, Talking Birdie. Uh, Matt, thank you for your time, and as always, rise up. Yeah, absolutely, guys. This was a blast. Let's do it again soon. Thank you for listening to Division Two Sports. For all Division 2 sports news, follow us on social media at Division underscore 2 sports. You can go, y'all.